Well, yes, I do seem to be having technological issues this week with my laptop, which keeps saying I've got all sorts of problems. Um, those of you who were there last week when I was talking about the uh, logical problem of evil, I'm going to pick up on a remark that I made then where I pointed to the fact that if you're um, talking in terms of the problem of evil, uh, are you talking about an evil that is objective or subjective? That is an evil that we uh, discover in reality uh, that doesn't depend upon our opinion or our decision or is uh, evil and goodness just a, a matter of taste or cultural decision. And I was arguing that in order to advance the problem of evil as an actual problem for belief in God, one would have to think that evil was an objective reality rather than merely something that one didn't like and that other people might like. A swings and roundabouts kind of situation. You'd have to actually say, no, you know, the Holocaust was evil. And I noted that saying that would grant one of the premises of an argument for the existence of God called the moral argument, which can just as well work from the basis of X, whatever that is, is an objective evil, as it could work from the beginning premise X, whatever that is, is an objectively good thing. I feel good and evil very related in terms of the definition. Evil is a falling short of what is good. So how do you judge the evil? In terms of the actual moral argument, there are various ways of phrasing this. Here's the way I'm going to do it tonight. Two premises leading to a conclusion. The first premise is that if a God, and I say a God because this argument doesn't try and prove everything that Christians or theists believe about God, but only part of what they believe about God. If a God does not exist, then objective moral values don't exist. The second premise is that objective moral values do exist. And you could see how you could arrive at that from pointing at something evil as much as pointing at something good. And if both of those claims are true, then it follows deductively that therefore a God exists. So it's one of my favourite arguments for God actually, and it's quite nice in as much as it's certainly logically valid. It means if those two claims, premise one and premise two, are both true, then the conclusion must be true. And so the debate can focus on, well, do you think that both of those premises are true? And if you're going to disagree with the conclusion, which of those two premises are you going to reject and say, no, that's not true? William Provine is an atheist from America. Very interesting quote from him. Uh, talking about his kind of worldview as a, a metaphysical naturalist and atheist. But I just highlight for you the fact that he says, in his view, there are no gods, and various things follow from this, including there's no life after death and no free will and so on. And he mentions here no ultimate foundation for ethics. No god, no foundation for ethics. It's that kind of thought that the moral argument picks up upon. 
crucial word of clarification because this is an argument that particularly atheists in the new atheist movement will uh, mischaracterize and misdescribe and will attack constantly the wrong target. The moral argument, we're not looking at an issue of, of how we know about right and wrong. And we're not looking at an issue of, of how we can be good people, how we can get the kind of moral wherewithal to do the right thing. We're only looking at the question of how we explain the existence of objective moral values. So the argument isn't, you can't be good if you don't believe in God. The argument isn't, you can't know the difference between right and wrong unless you believe in God or trust the Bible or something like this, which is the way the new atheists constantly... Ah, maybe that's why. Uh, mischaracterize it. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> Getting error messages and so on. Can continue. I'll take that advice from the audience. Click oh. <laughs> X. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Oh well. So I will continue without the pretty pictures. It's only an argument saying, given that there are these objective moral values in existence, what view of reality, what worldview, is going to best explain the existence of such a thing, account for the existence of such a real, non-physical reality as a moral value, or a moral duty, or a moral obligation. And I put the argument in the way that I did because you can advance it Keith might come try and I don't know another laptop <laughs> you can advance it simply by quoting from atheists so I'm going to do my best to remember the quotes from the atheists you'll have to trust me uh, on them um, actually if you go onto my podcasting channel uh, track that down through Google I've done this talk elsewhere before uh, on other occasions so you can get the, the more exact quotations but it's relatively easy to find atheist thinkers who will agree with both premises of the argument. Of course, the way they avoid the, the contradiction that would result between agreeing with both premises and still being an atheist is that they will, if they agree with premise one, disagree with premise two. And if they disagree with premise two, they will... Uh, agree with premise one and so on. So, people like uh, Richard Dawkins, for instance, has been very clear, and he says things like, the universe we observe has precisely those properties which we should expect if there is at bottom no purpose, no design, that is no God, no good, no evil, nothing but pitiless indifference. He says, it's been restored. Ooh. That's very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so he seems to be, and he says elsewhere as well, that it's pretty hard to defend uh, absolutist moral values except on religious foundations. 
And so what does he do with that? Well, what he does is he embraces moral subjectivism and says there are no objective values. Just as that quote uh, indicated, says there is no God, there are no good, there is no evil. You might like to think through the implications of Richard Dawkins saying there is no good and no evil, particularly when he wants to criticise the evils done by uh, religion and religious people. Uh, I would certainly agree with him in criticising some of the things done by religious people. But I want to be able to say they really did something wrong, that they really should not have done. Uh, give me this. Give me anything? No. Ooh. It's very not happy. Let's see. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, pretty hard to defend absolutist morals except on religious values. Two reasons why you might agree with him on this. The first is that objective moral values in moral awareness, we meet these commands. Do this, don't do that. Moral values are prescriptive. They prescribe our behaviour. But surely prescriptions must ultimately derive from a mind, not from an impersonal reality. Now, atoms don't command things. They don't tell you what you should do. They just do things. Also, moral values obligate us. I have an obligation to behave in certain ways, to not behave in other ways. But obligations surely can't be owed to impersonal, non-personal realities. I can't be obligated to atoms or my evolutionary history. But I can be obligated to a person. Jean-Paul Sartre, famous French atheist from the 60s, said existentialists, particular kind of atheist at the time, find it extremely disturbing that God no longer exists. For along with his disappearance goes the possibility of finding values in an intelligible heaven, kind of values that are out there. There would no longer be any a priori good, any kind of good that we just discover, rather than invent since there'd be no infinite and perfect consciousness to conceive of it. Only these finite human consciousnesses who all disagree with each other about what we say is good and bad. British atheist Julian Bugini says, if there's no single moral authority, i.e. no God, we have to in some sense create values for ourselves. That means that moral claims are not true or false. You may disagree with me, we can have a disagreement, But you can't say I've made a factual error. If I say I prefer pistachio flavoured ice cream to vanilla, and you say, hmm, I prefer vanilla 
there's a difference between us. We might have a blazing row over which flavour we should order for dessert, but neither of us have made a factual error. But is morality really like that when Hitler says the Holocaust was a good idea? And I say, no, it's not. Is it just that we have different tastes and we go to war about it because we have a blazing round, but neither of us has made a factual error? So atheists like J.L. Mackey, in his book The Miracle of Theism, said if there are objective values, they make the existence of God more probable than it would have been without them. Thus we have a defensible argument from morality, from objective morality, to the existence of God. But this guy's an atheist, so what does he do with this? He says, well, if we adopted instead a subjectivist account of morality, this problem would not arise. So he sees where embracing objective values goes to, he says, in order to escape that conclusion, I'll have to embrace subjective values. That's where the rubber hits the road, I think. That's the crucial question. Which is the bigger problem? Having to believe that some kind of a god exists, or having to believe that moral subjectivism is true? Which is the bigger problem? When you end up saying, with people like Richard Dawkins, that when it comes to normative or moral ideas, the words true and false have no application, no meaning... And when later on in his book, The God Delusion, he says things like, Hitler and Stalin were by any standards spectacularly evil men. Sounds like he wants to say that, but of course, remember what he said earlier in the book, what he's really saying is, Hitler and Stalin were by any standards spectacularly men. So, I would argue, along with many atheists, that objective moral values really do exist. Atheist Karen Nielsen from Canada says, moral truisms, things like the Holocaust was evil, it's wrong to torture small children just for the fun of it. It's good to love one another. Moral truisms are as available to me or any atheist as they are to the believer. I agree. You can be confident of the truth of these moral utterances. They're more justified than any sceptical philosophical theory that would lead you to question them. I agree. When uh, British atheist Peter Cave, I uh, debated him at um, Imperial College London this last year. You can find the uh, audio of that online if you like. He said, whatever sceptical arguments might be brought against our belief that ki killing the innocent is morally wrong, we're more certain that killing is morally wrong than that the argument, the sceptical argument is sound. Torturing an innocent child for the sheer fun of it is morally wrong, full stop. I agree. Russ Schaefer-Landau says some moral views are better than others. Despite the sincerity of the individuals, the cultures, the societies that endorse them. Some moral views are true, others false. And my thinking them doesn't make them so. It doesn't depend on me. Individuals and whole societies can be seriously mistaken when it comes to morality. And if that's true, says the best explanation is that there are moral standards not of our making. If all a moral standard was, was our decision, then you could have societies differing, but not one being wrong. 
You could have societies changing in their moral outlook, the moral zeitgeist, as Dawkins says, but you couldn't have one society making moral progress. Progress requires a goal that you make progress towards, something fixed and real. If you want to say that slave-owning Britain was a worse society than post-abolition Britain, you need to say that objective moral values exist. Uh, it seems to have seized up again. Yeah. So, we've got a logically valid argument. I can agree with various atheist thinkers that the best explanation for objective moral values is a transcendent being who's perfectly good that I'm obligated towards and who prescribes my behaviour. I can agree with many atheist thinkers that there really are objective moral values. But if I agree with both sets of atheists, I have to disagree with atheism. Because if those two premises are true, then theism must be true, and atheism can't be true. Let me stick the... uh, the problem in one notch further. If someone were to argue for moral subjectivism and say, here are my reasons why you should believe that moral subjectivism is true. Here are my reasons why you really should believe me that there's no such thing as a really should. I don't see how you can actually argue for that position. If you want to say that I have a moral duty, a real moral duty, to pay attention to your arguments, to consider the evidence, to draw the conclusion that seems to me most justified on the basis of the facts, the experience, the logic of the argument, that I'd be failing in my um, epistemic duties if I were not to do that kind of thing then it seems to me that you're implicitly assuming that there are objective moral values and of course you can't advance an argument against objective moral values whilst expecting me to still buy into objective moral values in order to be convinced by your argument So you could put the moral argument like this. If there is a moral duty to pay attention to the truth, Frederick Nietzsche, famous 19th century atheist, followed this down the line and he got to the point of saying, why should you pay attention to the truth? Why should you? I think you should. But I think if you should pay attention to the truth, if that's a real moral value, a real duty then the only way to explain that prescription, that obligation, is in terms of a personal reality. But at that personal reality, sure ain't us. It transcends us, as the value transcends us. And that can only be a transcendent, personal reality, who is goodness incarnate, as it were. Thank you very much.